Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. In July of 1991, I had a life-changing moment. I walked into the house of one of my best friends, a guy that I'd grown up with, and we had spent much of our growing up, either him at my house or me over at his house. And on this particular day in July of 1991, when I walked into his house, there was a young lady <laughs> that was over at his house just hanging out, listening to some music. And when I saw this young woman named Christy, I immediately knew that I wanted to get to know this woman. I was a full-time student in college. I had a full-time job. But amazingly, I was able to arrange my schedule so that I could spend as much time as possible with her, right? Because I knew the only way to get to know her and to develop the relationship that I wanted with her was to spend time with her. And so for the next 10 months, we spent <coughs> as much time together as we possibly could. It's amazing how much time you find in your schedule when something comes into your life that makes you want to spend some time there. Amen? So we did that for 10 months. At the end of the 10 months, we were married, and this May, we'll have been married for 24 years together as husband and wife. My wife is sitting right over here tonight, and I tell you that story, and here's why I tell you that story. Every relationship in my life is developed by choosing to invest time in that relationship. Think about the relationships in your life. This is a reality statement. The relationships in your life are where they are by how you have chosen to invest and spend time in those relationships. The relationships in your life that are strong and healthy and vibrant are relationships that are that way because you've chosen to spend and invest quality time into those relationships. In January of this year, we began to study together as a church the answer to one question, and the question was, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? Really trying to identify the target of our lives, to faithfully follow Christ. That's the desire of all of us that are here tonight that are followers of Christ. How do we faithfully follow Jesus? We long to hear those words <clears throat> when He comes again, well done, my good and faithful 
servant. What does it look like to do that? And as we've unpacked that through the Gospels and through the New Testament, we've come to understand that following Jesus is really all about, say the word, relationships, right? It's first and foremost about an intimate love relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship that we've been brought into a relationship with the God of heaven. It's daily, it's intimate, it's personal. But Christianity is not just a relationship with God. We said that it's also about our relationship with one another. Excuse me. <coughs> one another. Because we have a relationship with God, we now have a relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But our relationship with God and with one another is not all that following Jesus is about either. It's also about a relationship with people that don't know God at all so that Christ can work in us and through us on mission to draw them to himself. So following Jesus is really all about those relationships. And having identified that as the target, we then ask a very important second question. How do I develop these relationships and grow as a follower of Jesus? How do I go deeper in my relationship with God and my relationship with God's family and in my relationship with people that don't know God at all? And the answer to that question is the same one-word answer for how you develop any relationship. The answer is time. We have to choose to invest time in these relationships. And let me, before I go any further, just say this to you. Don't miss next weekend. Don't miss next weekend. And I'm not just saying that to try to get people to come back. I mean it very seriously. If you're a part of hope, all right? If you're a part of hope, next weekend I'm going to give you a challenge around this arena of how we invest our time that I believe in my own heart may be the most significant challenge that we've ever laid before us as a fellowship in our 14 and a half years in existence as a church. It is going to be a very critical time in the life of our fellowship, so don't miss it. I'm going to give you a clear challenge around this idea of how we choose to spend our time. But here's what we've identified. There are four specific ways that you and I must invest our time if we desire to grow in our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world. If we're going to grow as followers of Christ, there are four ways. And I've shown you this by way of this little wheel where we're identifying these four times. God time, gather time, group time, and go time. Four very specific ways that you and I must choose to invest our time to grow as followers of Jesus. And we started by unpacking God time. Let me give you that definition again. Let's read it together off the screen. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. There's no substitute for that. You and I are who we are as followers of Christ, rooted and grounded in the time that we spend daily alone with God. There is no microwave version of Christianity. There's no shortcut. There's no quick way to get there. It's time alone daily with the Father. You see somebody that walks with God, has an intimate love relationship with Jesus. Christ is in them, living through them. You dig deep enough, let me tell you what you'll find. They spend time alone daily with God in fellowship with Him. But then we looked at last weekend, gather time. Let's read that definition. Time spent weekly gathering in worship with my church. It's what we're doing right now. 
for the, throughout, throughout the history of the church, the church has not only individually been alone with the Father, but together we've, we've gathered for worship. And we talked about last weekend when we gather, every time we gather, we're really seeking to do three things. When we gather, we're seeking to hear God through His Word. We're seeking to talk with God through prayer. And then we are seeking to respond to God as He moves in our lives in worship. I believe when the church gathers that God in a unique way manifests His presence. Listen, we have not gathered here to go through a seminar. We are not here tonight to just have a church experience together. We have gathered here because we believe when the people of God gather, God manifests His presence among us. We long to encounter and experience the presence of God, and we know that everything changes when God shows up. Amen? So we need to choose to invest time gathering together for the purpose of worship. But then there's a third time. It's the one we want to unpack tonight. Look at it. Group time. Time. Let's read it together. Time spent consistently in community with a small group from my church. Group time. It's another way that you and I must spend our time. And we want to unpack it tonight. And as we begin to unpack this, let me remind you that Jesus modeled all of these times for us. Now, don't miss what I'm saying when I say that. Jesus was infinitely more than a model. Some people say Jesus came just to leave us an example. Listen, he left us an amazing example, but he was way more than an example. Jesus was our substitute. He was God in the flesh who took our sins upon himself on the cross, died, rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and has made it possible for you and I to have a personal relationship with God. He is our Savior, but as our Savior, he also modeled for us what the Christian life is supposed to look like. What a life of dependence on God is supposed to be. In his humanity, he laid aside the privileges of being God and lived in complete dependence on the Father so that the Christian life today for you and me is nothing more than the life he lived then, lived now by him in us. So we can look for all of these times in the life of Christ in the Gospels, and we've looked at them. Two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus daily was alone with the Father. Jesus pursued intimate fellowship with God. Last weekend, we saw that Jesus gathered with God's people on the Lord's Day every week. It was the pattern of his life for worship. Well, how did Jesus demonstrate this idea of group time? Well, look in your Bible at Mark chapter 3. I want to read some verses, and then we're going to turn to another place in the Scriptures and dig in. Mark chapter 3, look what it says. And he, this Jesus, went up on the mountain... And summoned. The word summoned here is a word that means to call or to invite to oneself. We don't have time to to lay all the foundation for this word, but just, just take my word for it. This word summoned is a word that is loaded. It is dripping with relational significance. He's literally inviting them to himself. Look what it says. He summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. The word came means to set off on a journey. Jesus was not just inviting them to a decision. Jesus was inviting them to the journey of their lives. And the Bible says that they set off on this journey. Look at what it says. And he appointed 12 so that they would, what does it say? Be with him. Jesus lived his life 
daily pursuing intimacy with the Father. Jesus gathered with God's people in large groups to worship. But here we see Jesus inviting a small group out of that larger crowd. And Jesus invited this group to do life with Him. They were with Him. As you read through the Gospels, everything Jesus experienced, everything He went through, this group walked with Him. They journeyed with Him. He spent much time with them. There were oftentimes in the large group after the gathering that Jesus would pull this small group aside and He would go deeper with what He just talked about in the large group. He would He would bring application and life experience and life application out of the teaching that he'd been doing with the larger group setting. Jesus modeled this idea of group time. So I want us to go to, if you have your Bible tonight, (coughs) turn to Colossians chapter 3. Because in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church about what community in the church is supposed to look like. So I want to read it for you, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. But before I read it, I need to educate you just a little bit, all right? Now, you have heard me many times say to you that I am originally from the state of what? I'm from Alabama, right? You've heard me say it. You can hear it in my accent. I am from Alabama. Now, in Alabama, we are not always known for our smarts, okay? It's not the thing that, that we get to print about. Right? It's not really our forte. But, but there's one area where I think we do something better than most people do it. And here, here's the area I'm talking about. In, in, in cultured places of high intelligence, they use the same word to talk about individuals as they do groups. And here's what I mean by that. It's the word you. The word you can mean you, singular, or the word you can mean you, plural. And you have to dig deep into the context to understand whether or not he's talking about you, individual, or you, all of you. Well, in Alabama, we've made it a whole lot simpler than that. We got two words for it. There's you and there's y'all, right? It's real clear. If I say you, I'm talking to you. If I say y'all, I'm talking to y'all. It's you, plural. Now, you say, why are you telling us that? Because it is theologically significant. Here's why. What we're about to read is a passage of Scripture where over and over again, Paul uses the word you. But every time he uses it, it's really y'all. Now, here's why this is important. These verses that I'm about to read, a lot of you have read them over and over and over again, and you think it's just talking about you. But it's not. Every time the word you is used in these verses, it is literally you, plural. It's y'all. Now, if you catch that, you're going to see some things in these verses you've never noticed before. So let's look at it now that you have the the great theological understanding of y'all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Look what it says. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave, say it. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. I can already tell daylight savings times had an effect. You caught on so much quicker than the crowd this morning that didn't get that extra hour of sleep. It's, it's who is forgiven, y'all. So also should 
y'all. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in. This is where it gets interesting. This is literally y'all's. All the English teachers in the room are having a hard time breathing right now. I actually had a lady at the end of the 11 o'clock service who teaches English or retired from teaching English say, anytime you want to meet with me, I'm happy to help you understand the English language. Let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts, to which indeed y'all were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within. Now, now already here, don't you see it? You see, for most of your life, you've probably read that verse and thought it just meant you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. That this was a personal moment of personal application in your personal life. But it's not. You cannot understand what these verses are saying unless you understand. He's talking to you in community. It's you all or y'all. Let's read it. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within y'all with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And it makes sense, right? You can't teach and admonish yourself. It demands a y'all. Teaching and admonishing one another. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in y'all's hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever, you getting it? You see, for most of your life, you thought that was just about you. Whatever you do. We thought that was personal. It's just an application for me. Just in my life, whatever I do, that's not what he's saying. He's talking to you in community. Whatever y'all do, whatever you plural do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to unpack some principles about community out of these verses for you. And here's the first one. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. I'm going to get you to read this out loud with me because... I want you to hear yourself say it. Let's read it. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. See, here's what we've done in our Western individualistic culture. We have a brand of church and Christianity in North America that says it's really all about me and my relationship with God. And as long as that's good... I can be right with God. I can be faithfully following Jesus. I can be good with God. And that's all I really need. And then I get to decide. I get a choice about whether or not I want this elective, this add-on thing called Christian community. If I got time for it or not, or if I really want to get involved in it or not, I got a choice about Christian community. But here's what the Bible's teaching us here. Without community... I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. You say, how can you say that? Let me, let me show you. Paul in these verses describes eight unique characteristics of the follower of Jesus. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, loving each other. <coughs> what are these? Well, it's a mirror passage to the passage in the book of Galatians that we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, pa- uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What are those characteristics in Galatians and these in Colossians? Let me tell you what they are. They are a, a configuration of the characteristics of the person of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is. And to the degree 
that I'm allowing Christ in me to live through me. Did you hear what he said? Those of you that are chosen of God, holy and beloved, because who I am in Christ, now I am in Christ and Christ is in me. The Christian life is not me living for Jesus, but it's me allowing Christ to live his life through me. Now, left to myself, I'm not compassionate. Left to myself, I'm not gentle. Left to myself, I'm not patient. But as I allow Christ in me to live through me, guess what it looks like? Compassion, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, patience bearing with one another, forgiving each other, loving one another. That's Christ in me, living through me. And here Paul says that these are commands, meaning it's not optional for me to be compassionate. It's not optional for me to be humble. It's not optional for me to be kind or gentle or loving or forgiving or bearing with. It's a command, meaning That as a follower of Jesus, in order for me to faithfully follow him, when he gives me a command in Scripture, what am I to do? Not a trick question. Obey it, right? If I'm going to faithfully follow him, if there's a command in the book, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm to seek to obey that. If you agree with that, say amen. If you don't agree with that, you need to because it's true. Now, understanding that, listen to what Greek scholar William Barclay says about these verses. I hope this is an aha moment for you. It is significant to note that every one of the virtues and graces listed has to do with personal relationships. Christianity is community. Here's what that means. You can't live out compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, loving each other. You can't obey those commands without community. You can't. Look at them. The word compassion. It means to feel so deeply for another person that you hurt when they hurt. You can't experience that by sitting down the row from somebody on Sunday. As a matter of fact, there are people sitting down the row from you who are hurting. And you don't even know about it. They walked in here carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And you're oblivious to it. Why? Because you're not involved in their life and they're not involved in yours. You can't live out compassion just by gathering with some people. It's a deep feeling of of compassion. It's It's an emotion that's strong because we're identifying with them. And you cannot be there without personal involvement in the lives of other Christians. Here's the point. You cannot obey Christ's command to be compassionate without being involved in the lives of other people in community. Which means I cannot faithfully follow Jesus without community. There are aspects of who I am in Christ that will never develop. Apart from my relationship with others. Look at another one. Kindness. Kindness is compassion expressed in action. It's compassion in action. Seeking to meet the need of that person who's hurting. Humility, Paul says, is regarding one another as more important than yourself. If there's no one another, there's no humility. The word gentleness is harnessing one's strength for the good of others. The word patience is a word that means patience with people specifically, not just circumstances. Then he mentions this idea of bearing with one another. It's putting up with others even when they fail or act differently from what is expected. Then he says to forgive one another. This word forgiveness, a unique word for forgiveness, it's the root word grace. It's the idea of demonstrating or showing grace to somebody when I'm wronged. 
You can't do that without community. You never get to the relational depth of being wronged until you get into community. I can't demonstrate forgiveness without relationships that sometimes go wrong. I didn't want to go deep in any one of these particular characteristics tonight for the sake of time, but I read a quote this week on this idea of forgiveness that I felt like was a word from God for somebody this weekend. So I want you to see this quote on forgiveness, and maybe it's for you tonight. It's by Harold Songer. Listen to what he said. Forgiveness means that the Christian continues his relationship with another person in spite of what has been done. He or she refuses to let personal pain result in ruptured relationship. Forgiveness, therefore, is a moment of holiness and grace in life in which human weakness is recognized. Human needs are exposed. And the love of God operates both in the heart of the one who forgives and the one who is forgiven. You cannot, you cannot live that out without deep personal relationships of community. You can't. All of this language that, let me remind you, is not Paul throwing out some options. They're commands for us as followers of Jesus to walk in this truth. All of these commands demand a level of depth in community in order for me to flesh them out. And then he closes by saying, love one another, which is the height of all of these. Really, all of these other expressions are simply the love of Christ in and through our lives. I cannot obey all of these commands without community. And when I say community, I don't simply mean what we're doing in here today. Last week, we talked about that when we worship, one of the reasons we worship is because God is great. Amen? But another reason we worship (coughs) is because we have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of one another. Well, let me let you in on a secret. The spiritual responsibility that we have for one another cannot be fully carried out simply in this gathering right here. There's an element of it that we can. I hope that that forever changed your perspective. I hope you walked in here today not just thinking about me getting my word and me enjoying this service, but that you came in here with your antennas up looking for how God desired to use you in the lives of those around you as we gather for worship. But the depth to which we've been called with this responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others can only be accomplished as we live this out in large group and in small group. And that has been the pattern of the church since it began in the city of Jerusalem. Connecting in large group and small group. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 2. Look at it. Acts chapter 2 says they were continually devoting themselves. Who's the the they? The they here are the 3,120 believers in the city of Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120. 3,000 came to know Christ, and they were added to that community. And then it says they were continually, here's the practice of their lives, to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Day by day in verse 46, it says they were continuing with one mind where? Say it out loud. 
in the temple. What's that? Large group. In the temple courts, those by the thousands would gather. The apostles would teach. They would share the word of God. They would pray over one another. They would encourage one another in a large group gathering. But then look what it says. And breaking bread from, say it out loud, house to house. You see what happened? They would gather in the temple courts in large groups and teach the Word of God. Then they would go house to house in smaller gatherings to do life together, to fellowship around the teaching of the Word, to bring application, to pray for one another. You see, when the church was born, community happened. Nobody said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's start a small groups ministry. No. It was just the outward expression of the church carrying out this life of Christ that now lived in them, being fleshed out in their everyday life. Community was demanded in order for them to live out the life that they'd been called to. So here's what that means. Community is not what we do as a church. Community is who we are as the church. It's what we do. It's just a natural expression of our following Jesus. So what is small group community? Let me give you a definition of a small group. Here's a definition. It's a community of people. Ideally, 8 to 20. There are always exceptions, but that's an ideal number. A community of people together, rightly relating with God, one another, and the world. And here's what I want you to hear me say. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you must invest time alone daily with God. No substitute. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you must choose to invest time weekly gathering with other believers for worship. But if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you must choose to invest time consistently connecting with other people in community in a small group out of that larger group gathering. It's been the pattern of the church since it began. It was modeled for us in the life of Jesus. And in studying this this week, I've always believed this. We've always taught this here at Hope. But it became such a deep conviction in my life this week. I want to say it to you this way. If you are not, if you are not in a small group community with other believers, you are not faithfully following Jesus. You say, Pastor, how could you say that? Here's how I can say that. There are commands in Scripture you cannot live out. You can't. You cannot fully obey the life that Jesus has invited you into unless you are going deep in some relationships with people and walking with them on this journey called following Jesus. If that makes sense, say amen. Let me give you the second statement. Within community, I am challenged to more faithfully follow Jesus. You hear where we're going? First of all, without community, I can't. Faithfully follow Jesus. But within community, I am challenged to more faithfully follow Jesus. That's what he begins to talk about here in verses 15 and 16. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's about being challenged 
to follow Christ more faithfully. And let me give you three ways that small group community challenges us. Number one, I am challenged as I seek Christ with others. Here's what I mean by that. Relationships can be difficult. Amen. Yeah, what's funny is you're saying amen, thinking about somebody, and they're saying amen, (laughs) thinking about you. Relationships can be hard. They can be difficult, and that's the very reason (coughs) some people choose to not engage in small group community. They'd rather come and sit in a large group like this and kind of blend in. You don't make any relationships. You can't get hurt. You can't have anybody wrong you. And so I'm just, I'm just not interested in that level of fellowship with other people. As you and I walk in community with others, there will be times when we experience relational brokenness, and there will even be times when you and I get hurt. But I couldn't get past this phrase in verse 15. Look what he said. Let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts. He knew that as we got relationally connected enough to live out compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility, bearing with, loving, forgiving, he knew that it was going to stretch us beyond what we were comfortable. And so here's what he said. Let peace, let the peace of God rule. I love again what Harold Songer said about this phrase, peace. He said, for peace to rule does not mean the absence of disagreements or conflicts in the Christian fellowship. Peace does not rule out or suppress disagreements. It resolves them in love. There is no place in the family of God for unresolved conflict and relational brokenness. It's why Paul wrote in another place to the church at Rome, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We're to pursue reconciliation. We're to pursue peace with one another. We're to seek to resolve our differences. We're to be humble. We're to forgive. We're to bear with. We're to be patient. You cannot live any of this out without relational depth with people. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in a small group with some people, and some stuff's going to happen. And here's what God's going to do. God's going to use that relationship to surface some stuff in your own flesh that He could not surface without that relationship. And God's going to do that to show you some stuff about you that you need to learn that you couldn't have learned without that difficult, hard relationship in your life. And when he does that, he's going to use that relationship to conform you to the image of Christ. There's a book by a man named Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite all-time books. If you've never read it, highly recommend it. Roy Hessian, The Calvary Road. Look at this quote. Again and again, we see the thing in us that reacts so sharply to another's selfishness and pride 
is simply our own selfishness and pride, which we are unwilling to sacrifice. Then look what he says next. We shall have to accept another's ways and doings as God's will for us. That's tough. I don't like that. That person in your small group that's stretching you. That person that just, here's what he said. You got to accept that. That's God's will for you. Now, wait a minute. Before you tune out, listen to the rest of it. (coughs) And meekly bend the neck to all of God's providences. That does not mean that we must accept another's selfishness as God's will for them. Far from it. But only is God's will for us. As far as the other is concerned, God will probably want to use us if we are broken to help Him see His need. As you let people in, as you begin to do life, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, all right? Listen, Jesus saw this in the 12 that he picked, the 12 that he did like. I'm reading in the Gospel of Matthew right now in my personal quiet time. And I have just this last week (coughs) been blown away by just the inconsistency of the disciples. I I thank God for them. It gives me hope. Amen? I mean, I'm reading, and I'm in, I'm in Mark, I was in reading in Matthew chapter 14, and in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has been teaching 5,000 people all day long. They've had nothing to eat. They get to the end of the day, and Jesus says, we got to feed these folks. The disciples say, we ain't got no food. There's no McDonald's. There's no Applebee's. We don't know what to do. Jesus said, what do you got? we got five loaves and two fish. Bring it to me. Takes the five loaves and two fish, feeds 5,000 people. When they're done, guess what's left over? 12 basketfuls. You know why 12? I think so each disciple had to carry a a basket (laughs) and walk away thinking, yep, he's got this covered. But here's what's crazy. A chapter later, (laughs) he's teaching 4,000 people. And he teaches them all day long, and they got nothing to eat. And Jesus says, hey, I want to feed these folks. And guess what the disciples do? They say, Lord, we've seen you do it once. You can do it again. No, they say, we don't know what to do. We got no food. There's no McDonald's. We don't know where to go. He said, what do you got? Got a few loaves, a few fish. Bring it here. What does he do? Feeds 4,000 people, seven large basketfuls. This time it says left over. You think, well, finally they got it. A chapter later. I'm not making this up. Chapter 16, verse 5 says, The disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they forgot to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And listen to what they said. They began to discuss among themselves, Is he saying that because we didn't bring any bread? Jesus says, You of little faith. Why are you talking about the fact that you got no bread? And then he says, don't you remember the 5,000? Then he says, don't you remember the 4,000? There are going to be times in your what? Listen, 
Patience with people. Jesus had to live this out. There are going to be some people as you engage in this and begin to do life, they are going to stretch you to the point that you say, Lord, if you don't show up in the name of Jesus, I'm about to take them out of my small group. (laughs) But you see what that just did? It brought me to Jesus. (laughs) It got me so desperate I had to turn to him, which is exactly where he wants us to stay. You see, the problem is with some folks, we think we can handle this one. He doesn't want us engaged in community in our own strength or power. He wants us in complete dependence upon him. So he's going to allow some relationships in my life that are going to challenge me to my core because it will bring me to the end of myself. And at the end of myself, I discover the greatness of who he is. And I watch Christ in me love through me in a way that I could never do on my own. Let me give you the second way we grow. I'm challenged as I see Christ in others. Did you hear what he said? He said in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you all. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the message and the teaching, the life of Jesus being It dwelling within us, it being lived through us so that others in community can see that. And then he says, I want you to teach one another. The word teach is a word that involves the investment of personal. It's not just throwing out information. It requires personal investment of time in the lives of others. Here's the point. As we spend time in community with other believers, we're able to see Christ in them. You don't get to see that on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, everybody's got their church face on, right? You know where people are living. But when you start doing life with people, you don't just see them on their Sunday. You get to see them daily. Many of you know the story that I've told here a bunch of times and all over the world about Letty Peralta. Letty's the little Filipino lady that God used to pray for a year and a half about this church starting. And this church, (laughs) we're now 14 and a half years in, and we've literally enjoyed 14 and a half years of favor because one lady asked God to do it. She begged God daily for a year and a half to birth this church. Well, this church started as a small group in my living room. We're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. We started as a small group in my living room, 18 adults, the first night we gathered in February 2001. Letty was one of those people in our small group. And my wife's sitting right here. She'll she'll give testimony to what I'm about to tell you. Letty prayed for a year and a half. And then we began to meet in that small group. Letty was every week the first one there. She'd get there a good hour before anybody else. And just start whatever she could do. Moving chairs. Setting out food. And then when we would finish small group. And the last person would leave, and you small group leaders know what I'm talking about when I say the last person would leave. Sometimes you can't get them to leave. You want them to leave. You're ready for them to leave. You've turned out all the lights. You've put your pajamas on, and they're still not leaving. Letty would stay to the last person left, and she'd be the first one to grab a broom and a mop and a trash can and just start cleaning up and putting things back where they go. And I saw her. I knew that she'd prayed. But I got to watch her over those months as we met in a small group together. I got to see Christ in her in a way that inspired Christ in me. 
I'd have never known that just coming to a church service. But because we were investing time in each other's life, I saw something. I'll tell you about another guy. Over 20 years ago, I was in a small group. Eric, you know this guy. 20 years ago, I was in a small group led by a guy by the name of Scott Coleman. Scott Coleman, as a high school or college student, had had an accident that had paralyzed him from his neck down, confined to a wheelchair, couldn't move anything but his head. That's it. Scott and his family would come, and we'd get involved in that small group with them, and I saw a joy for Jesus in Scott Coleman. I'd seen him at church across the way, but I didn't really know him. And once I got involved in a small group with him, I saw a joy in Scott Coleman's life. I saw a passion for Christ in him, even in the circumstances that he could have used to say, man, I got no joy. It's hard. My life's tough. He, I never heard him say it one time. I just saw joy and passion and a love for the gospel in him. And doing life with him inspired me. It challenged me to love Jesus more because I saw Christ in him. You can't get that without community. Let me give you the third way we are challenged. We're challenged as others speak Christ into us. Hear what Paul said? Teaching and admonishing. Now the word admonish is a pretty strong word. It's a word that means literally to place in the mind. It's the idea of you got their attention. You exhorted them. You challenged them. It's a strong speaking into somebody's life. Let me just say this. You can't do that without relational equity. You just walk up to somebody on Sunday you don't know and try to speak a strong word into their life. Let me tell you what you're going to get. Uh, I'm sorry. Who are you? Right? Because, number one, you don't know me. And, number two, you don't have enough relational depth with me to challenge me like that. But when you get to know somebody... And you're doing life with them, and you begin to see some things in their life, and God lays it on you. Because you've earned the right relationally to speak into their lives, you can't live this out without community. You don't just get to randomly admonish people, you got to build some relational equity. It involves an investment of time. And I hope you're hearing in this you can't live this out without community. Within community, I'm challenged. Here, here's the third and final statement I'll make. <clears throat> Through community, the mission is accomplished. Did you hear it? Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. Within community, I'm challenged to follow him more faithfully. And through community, guess what we do? We accomplish the mission. What's the mission? It's real simple. Make disciples. Well, guess what's happening as we do life together and enjoy community? Guess what's happening? We're making disciples. You're being conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus, which is discipling one another. So as we gather in community, the mission is accomplished. But then as a small group community, we're to look to share in the mission locally and globally. That's verse 17. Look at it again. Whatever you do. Now remember, we've always heard that. Whatever you individually do, but that's not what it's saying. It's whatever what? Whatever y'all do. The word do is a word that means to express action. Paul here is closing this section of life in community by reminding us to look for ways to live out the gospel in a way. He says, whatever y'all do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
giving thanks through him to God the Father. We're to live in community in such a way that we're to look for opportunities locally and globally to make Jesus known. Here's what's happened. In, in the world of Christianity in North America, if we hadn't just made it about us and God, we've stopped with this idea of us and God's family, and we've built these little holy huddles over here, and we're like, oh, we just love our small group. We love being together. It's just us. We love each other. We meet each other's needs. We just love being together. That's what heaven's for. While we're here, we have a mission. And it's not just being together. There's a world that is lost. There's a city that is lost and in need of the gospel. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ in community are to constantly be looking for ways that together we can live out the mission locally and globally. I'll close with this quote by John Piper. Listen to what he said. He said, Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing, missionary faith. Or it is not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who perish. We become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ and the power of the cross and the freeness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing left but a smooth-running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. That's what happens to many churches. And let me just add to his comment, it's definitely what happens in many small groups. We get inside our small group and we just turn inward. It becomes just about us. We have a mission to accomplish. We have eternity to enjoy fellowship with one another. Right now, a small group is a group of people, community of people together, rightly relating with God with one another and the world, locally, globally. So if you're a small group leader and you're here, let me ask you a question. How are you leading your group to engage in God's mission locally and globally? He said, whatever, whatever y'all are doing, whether it's in word or deed, make sure it's about making the name of Jesus known locally and globally. If you're not going to faithfully follow Jesus, We must choose to spend God time, gather time, group time.